So good morning. Welcome to, uh, to Cultivate, our, our family gathering. We call this a family gathering because uh, we are the church. We get to be the church because of what God has done for us in Jesus. Uh, so you can't go to church, actually. You may not realize that. You can either be the church or you're not the church. And so we hope you are the church uh, with us today as we gather. Um, we are going through a series uh, throughout the summer called Invisible Made Visible. So what we're talking about throughout the whole series, uh, which I think in the end is going to be something like 15 weeks or so, uh, we, we're talking about how if, if God is invisible, if nobody's ever seen God, that's what John says when he begins his gospel about Jesus. If nobody's ever seen God, then how is it that we can know who he is? How do we know what he's like? And the answer that he gives us is that you look at the Son, who is the image of the invisible God, and that's how you know what God's like. And it has tremendous implications for our knowledge about God and even how we live. And so what we're doing throughout the whole series is looking at how Jesus is this invisible made visible, and then what that visible nature of God is for us and how we can then live in light of that. So over the next few weeks, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to start to look at some of the I am statements that Jesus makes about himself. So there there are several of them that he talks about. And today we're going to look at where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Uh, If you're going to follow along in the Bibles in in the front of the seats, you can follow along on page 743, but we're going to hop around a little bit just so you know that. Um, Also, I want to mention to you, if you don't have a Bible, take that one, okay? Or if you have one, it's like in English that nobody's spoken for 400 years, um, take that one, okay? So that that you have one that's readable and you can understand and that our gift to you, that's the reason that we have and we make them available to you. So please do that. So what I thought we would do this morning is talk about what the definition of light is. I mean, so light is this, you know, we all know what light is, but how would you define what it is? And uh, this is one definition I came across, and I thought it was a pretty good one, so I figured I'd share it with you. It says, light is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes things visible. It makes things visible. So I I was thinking about, when I I heard this definition, I was thinking uh, about uh, our vacation. I told you about this uh, last week. Two weeks ago, we went on vacation. We went up to a cabin in the woods up in the Adirondacks in New York State and uh, spent some time with our missional community, some, some family members here at Cultivate. And um, I don't know, how, how many of you have ever got, like, driven out into the woods somewhere where, like, there is nothing around? How many of you have done, done that before? And you thought to yourself, like, this must be the way that they go to drop off bodies. You know, it's like... <laughs> the, 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 there are very few reasons why somebody would drive on this road other than that and, and to get away from people. I don't know. But so, so we're, we're driving up there, and, and um, about 
two-thirds of the way into the trip, it starts to get really dark out. And not like Jersey dark, you know? <laughs> Jersey dark, there's like a purple haze that, that, you know, kind of surrounds the area from the smog and from the city and everything, you know? And you can see like three stars. This is dark. So you kids, if you've never been out of Jersey before, there are places in the world where when it gets dark out, it's like pitch dark, you know? And uh, so we're driving along, and, and we ex- start to experience the, this darkness as we're, you know, going through the, these paths. And, um, and finally, we, we get up to where the house is, and we drive three miles down this road that has no street lights on it. And so all, the only light is the, the headlights. And we get to the driveway where the house is, and uh, it's a really old house. It's been there for, I don't know, how long, Andrew? Like 110 years, something like that. And um, it was an old camp, and, uh, and there's really no driveway. There's just a clearing in the trees to, to get up there. So we, we went by the driveway the first time, had to circle back around and go through. And we're, and we're going up the driveway, and Mandy's driving. She goes, this can't be it. This can't be it. This can't be it. And I'm like, it's it. Like, there, there's, nothing, there's no other options. Like, it's this or trees, you know? It's like, <laughs> this has to be it. So we're going up, and it splits in two different ways, and it's literally in, the, like, pitch dark out. You can't see a thing. And, and you expect if you, you know, get onto a driveway that you're going to see a house at the end of it, right? I mean, that's most of our expectations. When we get onto a driveway, there's a house there. We're driving, no house. We, we see one house, but it's pitch dark, and we just kind of see the corner of it. And we keep driving, keep going, keep going. And, and finally, we come up over this ridge, and off in the distance, there's a small light. I mean, just very, very small, but it's bright enough that you can see it in the midst of, of the blackness. And if it were like on your street, you'd think the house was completely dark. But here in the midst of darkness, it looks like perfect light, right? So, so we drive up to the house and uh, get as close as we can to it, and we can see the lights in the house. And, uh, and, and we were told, just honk the horn and, and we'll come out because you, you, can't, you literally can't see from the car to the house. It's that dark. So you can't tell what you're stepping in or, or what obstacles you, you might encounter along the way. And so we, we beep the horn, and a couple minutes later, uh, Andrew comes bobbing out with this light. And I see this light, like, dancing, you know, in our direction. He finally gets close enough, and I can see that it's Andrew with a headlamp on. And, uh, and I didn't know this, but you learn that if you're going to walk anywhere outside at night at, at the house, you've got to have a, a flashlight or a headlamp to see where you're going. Otherwise, you're going to get in some deep trouble. And so he comes up, and, and I think the first thing he says to us is, watch where you step. There's a gigantic hole right next to your car. <laughs> like, that's good to know, right? <laughs> that is good news. And he, said he shines the light on it. Sure enough, he had, dri- he had taken a stump out that day, and there's this massive crater. So if I had taken literally three steps away from the car, boom, would have fallen right in the crater. So I'm like, thank you, my friend. You, you are illuminating the way for me. So we get all of our stuff out, and we go in the house, and uh, we, he goes, you know, we have a particular room set up for you guys. We're going to go in there. And, um, and, and the house is 100 years old. I mean, there's, you know, very little electricity in it. And so a lot of the rooms have one light in them, or there's, you use, like, uh, candlelight, you know, or, or, um, get, or lanterns. And so he leads us upstairs with the headlamp uh, into the room that we're going to stay, and, uh, and so we get into the room, and it's dark, and we're just following him. And, and, uh, and he goes to the corner. It's dark in the room. And, and he turns on the one light in the corner, and boom, you know, it's, all of a sudden it's light in the room. 
And the first thing that I noticed when we got into the room, it's a beautiful room, beautiful house. Um, you know, they're doing a great job maintaining it. But I, I, I happened to notice that there's duct tape all around the, the top of the room. I'm like, huh, that's something you see all the time. I'm going to ask about it, right? So, hey, what's the duct tape for? And, uh, and, and Andrew goes, oh, well, you know, we used to have a terrible problem with bats. Actually, they, they claimed the whole third floor of the house, essentially, as their domain. And, and we put the duct tape up to deter them from coming down into the second floor and, and like, disturbing us while we're sleeping. <laughs> but we don't have any bats anymore, so, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, okay. No more bat. Hey, turn the light off. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, we had, we had a great week, but it was a great reminder to me uh, about light because sometimes light illuminates things that are good news to us, right? Like the hole in the house. Good to know that they're there. And sometimes light illuminates things that we wish we knew weren't there, right? Um, like the duct tape and the bats, maybe. But it has that dual effect, right? It illuminates, but it can illuminate both things that are, are good to us and things that we wish we didn't know were, were, were sometimes there. And so when we talk about light, I want you to keep that in mind uh, because Jesus is going to say, I am the light of the world. And he, he's going to mean some very, very specific things about those things. And, and some of them are things that we're going to be uh, excited about, and some of them are going to be things that we may not wish we knew, Right? But we're going to talk about three things that Jesus means when he talks about the, the fact that he is the light of the world. There's actually four, but the fourth one is the one that we've been talking about throughout this whole series, which is that Jesus illuminates what God is like to us. He is the flashlight in the sense that says, here's what God is like. Uh, so, so we're really talking about that throughout the summer. Um, but there, there are three things that we're going to talk about today in terms of him being uh, the light. And the first is this, that Jesus, as the light, he guides us in the way that we should go. He guides us in the way that we should go. We're talking about three terms, guiding, exposing, and transforming. He does those three things. The first one is that he guides us in the way that we should go. There, there are several places where we could go to talk about God and Jesus being the light. Um, but I want to start in the Old Testament so that we'll know exactly what Jesus means when he says... I am the light of the world. And there's one place in particular that talks about this, which is Isaiah 2. And it's a, a chapter where I, the prophet Isaiah is, is picturing in his mind a future reality that's going to happen. He, he, and he's talking about a Messiah who will come and rescue his people and give light to them. And he says this about him. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And, and it's funny because Isaiah is talking about this as if it's already happened, right? He's so sure of it. He, he's got such a picture of it in his mind, this light dawning, that he's like, it's like it already occurred. But here's the reality, is that the people of God, even when they heard Isaiah say this, ended up having to wait for, for generations, waiting and waiting and waiting for this light to come. And they were asking themselves all the time, when is this going to happen? When is this person going to come that's going to illuminate the way for us? Because we, we feel like we're in darkness. So imagine what those same people, they're, they're 
grandchildren's children's children would have thought when Jesus shows up on the scene and he says this in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Jesus shows up and he goes, I am the light that, that the prophet told you about. I'm him. If you follow me, you'll never be in darkness again. But, but here's the thing. What, what in the world does he mean by that? What does he mean by that? Well, well if, you may not know this, but Israel as a nation was commanded to be a people of celebration. It was, it was great to be Jewish in that day because you had parties all year round uh, because God wanted them to remember in feasts and festivals throughout the whole year what he was like and what he had done for them. And so he said, I want you to celebrate these things because I want you to commemorate all that I am and all that I've done to you. And the reason is because you may not realize this, but we as people are very forgetful. We're incredibly forgetful. And so we need to be reminded over and over and over again what is true so that, we will, so that it will be tangible to us. And in the same way, he's saying, I want you to remember what I've done because if you don't, if you start to forget the stories of what I've done and who I am, you're going to start to think that it was all up to you and that it was all about you and that if anything good happened in your life, it was a product of what you've done. We've never done anything like that, right? No, of course not. We would never. But God's people, at least here, um, He's saying this is going to be a reality for you. And so I want you to, to participate in these celebrations to, to call you back to remembering and to celebrating God and what He's done and to be a demonstration of this great God that you get to love and serve to the world. And so one of those celebrations was called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles. It was the last of seven annual feasts that, that was commanded by God. And it happened in September, October or so. And it lasted for about seven days. And what it was for was to commemorate Israel's journey through the desert to the promised land that lasted 40 years when they lived out in tents. Tent, tabernacle, same word. And so, so there are two aspects to this celebration that are, that are key. And the first one is this, is when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, everybody would set up a tent outside their house, either in their courtyard or on, their, on the roof of their home. They would set up a tabernacle, and then they would go out and they would live in the tent. It was like camping out all week. It's like camp out week. All right, we're going to eat in the tent. We're going to sleep in the tent. Everything's going to be in the tent. And the reason was to remind themselves of the hardships of what it was like to actually wander through the desert for 40 years. So seven days are fun. 40 years, not so fun, right? But they, they were to get a taste of what that was like so that they would remember not just the hardships, but that God had led them out of those hardships to the land that he had promised to give them. And then there was a second aspect of it, and, and there was this. On the first night of the feast, they would go out and they would set up two enormous menorahs. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen a menorah. It's like a candelabra. It's got candles all along it. But these, these were like bigger than anything you can imagine. They were, uh, some reports said, like 75 feet tall. So like as tall as the steeple on the building plus some. Enormous candles. 
And they would light these candelabras or menorahs um, that were filled with oil and put wicks in them, and they would burn throughout the entire celebration. And, it, and the reports were that they gave off so much light that, that everybody in the city could see these massive lights that were set up. And, and they were to be a symbol for the people uh, of the time that they walked through the desert of, of what they followed after. Does anybody remember what they followed after that actually guided them through the desert so they knew where to go? What happened at night? Yeah, there's a pillar of fire. It's, it was actually God's tangible presence in their midst that would lead them through the desert for those 40 years. And so they set up these candles to be a reminder of God's tangible presence in their lives that He was leading them along the way. But at the end of the festival, they would intentionally go and they would put out these lights because they were still waiting for the great light that Isaiah had talked about. He hadn't arrived yet, and so they needed to put out these lights to symbolize that the Messiah had not come yet. So, so imagine this, because this is the backdrop when Jesus comes on the scene and He says what? I'm the light of the world. I mean, picture Him telling this to his disciples and followers it, with, with those huge menorahs shining in the background. That's essentially what he's doing. He's saying, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never be in darkness again. In other words, I'm, the, I'm what you've been waiting for. As you've been stumbling around in the darkness looking for light, I am the light. I am the one who will guide you out of that darkness that you've been living in. I'll actually put my spirit in you so that your life itself will be light. That's why John, when he begins uh, his gospel in, uh, in chapter 1, he says this, In him, Jesus, was life. And that life was the light of men. In other words, He is the source of light. He is light. There is no other. And that light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Some of your translations might say, the darkness has not overcome it. So if He is the source of light, and there is no other, I mean, think of the implications here. If you're standing there listening to Jesus... If, if you were one of the people who was wandering in the desert and uh, you, your, your camp was all situated around this pillar of fire and then the pillar of fire began to move, what would you do? You'd pack up and move, right? You get, that thing's leaving. It's going to get dark here quick. Let's pack up everything and let's follow after it. Now, how often do you think the Israelites were able to like get up and be like, hey, Pillar, um, I'd like to go that way today. The Pillar's like, okay. <laughs> no, right? It's foolish. If they wanted to be in light, they needed to follow the Pillar. That's the way it worked. Pillar, light. No Pillar, darkness. Follow the Pillar. And so for 40 years, they did that. When it moved, they moved. When it stopped, they stopped. And they set up camp. Anywhere you're going, we're going too. That's the way it worked. So Jesus, I mean, picture this. He's, he's showing up and going, if you want to walk in light, you've got to follow this light. If you don't follow this light, guess what you get? Darkness. 
Every single time. He is the light of the world. In him there is no darkness. Anyone who follows them will, him will have light. Those who don't, the implication is that you'll be in darkness. So let me ask you this. Who is it that you tend to trust more as being the light of your life? Where do you look to? Where do you go to to be the source of light for you, to guide you in the way that you should go? Do you tend to look to Him? Or do you tend to say, well, I don't know, Pillar. I think it might be light over here. Can, like, just come with me. You see how foolish that is? Most of us, if we're being honest, though, we, we want to be able to decide what our life is about and what it's lived for. We want to reserve the right to make that call for ourselves. And the truth that we all need to hear is that the result of choosing to live away from the light is always darkness. Every time. And so, if you're still experiencing darkness in your life, and darkness, by the way, biblically is a metaphor for a life of sin, so if you're, if you're still experiencing an inability to overcome sin or feeling like your, li- like your life is directionless or feeling like you live without hope, then it may be actually be a good idea to ask yourself, whose light am I really following here? Who gets to determine where I'm headed and what I'm doing, where I use my time and my resources? Which, by the way, is a choice that all of us have to make every day, Right? So let me ask this, if Jesus is such a great light, if he is the source of all light, and he's saying, I am the light, I will be the light for you, I will guide you, why in the world do we choose something else? Why do we choose lesser lights or darkness? Well, I think the answer is that we rebel against Jesus, we choose our own way, And the primary reason for that is because of the second thing that Jesus does. Because Jesus as the light, he exposes areas of our lives that need grace. See, he doesn't just shine the way forward for us. He actually shines the light into our own hearts. And sometimes we're not all that impressed with what we see. So, I mean, how many of you have ever been awoken from like a really deep sleep by an, an enormous light? Like shocked awake because of light. Somebody like opened the shades on you or shines a flashlight in your eyes at like three in the morning or, or how many of you have ever experienced that before? What went through your mind when that light came in? Close the mind, yeah. <laughs> Turn it off, yeah. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Four letter words, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like get that light away from me. It's like, It's like you're being assaulted with light and you crave going back into darkness, right? So in the same way, if you've wandered in darkness your whole life, then even the smallest amount of light is going to feel like an affront to you because it's going to expose things. It's going to shine light on area that's going to be painful for you. And that's what Jesus is saying has been true because apart from him, we're in darkness, right? That's what he's saying. In fact, we're... The reality is we're all born blind. We're all born into darkness and we walk in darkness. And because we walk in utter darkness, we walk around hurting ourselves and we walk around hurting others as we go. 
We don't know where we're going or what we're doing. And so darkness, as I've said, is a metaphor for sin, which is what we all experience apart from the light. And here's the result of that. In John 3, verses 19 and 20, John says this. Actually, Jesus is saying this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men what? They loved the darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Anyone who does, who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. See, we love the darkness because it conceals what we wish not to be exposed, either to ourselves or to other people. You remember, what light does is it, it brings things to light. It, it makes things visible. And that's why, I don't know if you realize this, most, um, most crime happens when? At night, right? Why? Because it conceals it. When we commit crimes at night, our identity is often concealed because of the darkness. We, we escape penalty. We, we escape the ramifications of it, or at least we think we do. So there's a part of us, if we're just being honest, that hates Jesus because we don't want to be exposed to who we really are or what we've really done or what's really been done to us. We don't want to see it for ourselves. So, so let me ask you, and, and don't answer this one. We're going to get to dialogue in just a second. But what areas of your life are you still walking in darkness? What's hidden? What is it, the thing that you know is dark, but nobody knows about? And you think you've got a handle on it or that you're dealing with it, but in reality, it's dealing with you. Yesterday, I was watching Caleb because uh, Mandy is working this weekend. My son is two and a half. And um, he's playing with his trains, and I was trying to do a little bit of work on the sermon. And um, all of a sudden, this smell sort of wafts my way. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and so I turn to my son and I go, Caleb, do you need your diaper changed? No, Daddy. Are you sure? No, I don't need my diaper changed. Caleb, are you poopy? No, Daddy, I'm not poopy. Like, Caleb, my eyes are watering up over here. <laughs> are you sure about this? No, 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 of course not. See, we do the same thing, right? It's obvious to us that something stinks. <laughs> but we don't want to admit it. We don't want to admit it. And we don't want to believe that God actually sees the thing that needs to be changed in us, the thing that needs His grace for us. So, so here's the part where we can dialogue. If God knows anyway what happens in our life, God says that He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows the deep recesses of our hearts. He's the one that created us. He says, even darkness is as light to you. That's what Psalm 139 says. If that's true, then why do we hide from the light? Why do we fear being exposed? What do you think? You get to dialogue on this part. Yeah, we know we'll have to change. And deep in our hearts, we're not actually willing to let go of the thing because when it's in darkness, we get to be God over it, don't we? 
Okay, when something's exposed to God, who, who gets to be God over it? God does, right? And we have to submit to him. And sometimes we just don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a huge one, right? It'll offend us. It'll offend our sense of who we are because we'll have to come to terms with the fact that we may actually need help, right? Um, this is particularly true, thanks for, for mentioning that, but um, if we've defined who we are by what we've done in our lives, like if, if you have labels that you use for yourself that are based primarily on what you've been able to do for yourself, then being exposed to stuff that you don't like to look at is going to be particularly difficult for you. And so if, you, if you're like, I am, you know, I'm a hard worker, I'm a good person, I'm a survivor, I'm selfless, I'm spiritual, I'm whatever, whatever term you would use to describe yourself to make you feel like you're okay, when God goes, here, look at the light in, in terms of who you actually are, view the full spectrum of what's actually going on in your life. We go, no, I, I have to suppress and reject that piece of me so that I'll feel okay with myself. Right? See, we'd rather know, we, we'd rather not know just how ugly we are on the inside. Which is, uh, is necessary, actually, for God to deal with it. We're going to get to that in a second. What else? Anything else rolling around in your mind? When we, when we get exposed, we're not in control anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it feels like even when something's in darkness and you know full well that it has control over you, the only thing that you feel like you have control over is concealing what you don't have control over. You know? Um, so, like, the loss of control over what you don't have control over scares us even more, right? Let me tell you... The, who has control over it, though? God does. I, I, he's the only one that can change it, too. I hope you hear that. Anything else? Yeah, we feel like, it, yeah, exposure plus sin equals condemnation, right? That's what we feel like. And so... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. I mean, sometimes it feels like, gosh, you know, I, in order to deal with something, it's going to take a whole lot of effort and work. And I'm just tired anyway because maybe this, whatever I'm dealing with is just beating me to a pulp and I just feel like energyless. So the exposing it will mean I have to deal with it and I just don't know if I have the energy to deal with it. Yeah, huge. Worried about what? Yeah, right. If I if I'm not this, if I don't do this, who will then I, who will I be then? That's a huge one. We gain our I mean, I hope you hear what you what you're saying is we gain our identity from it. Right? Yeah, Troy. Yeah. Yeah, we love it and we hate it at the same time, right? We love it because it, it may be for us an immediate gratification and then we deal with the shame of it afterwards because we know we shouldn't live in darkness. 
there's something in our soul that actually cries out for light. That's the whole reason that you, you, when I'm speaking these things, you're going, man, it would be so great to live in the light if only, right? Yeah, one more. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, in a sense, like, God's grace is enough to cover, like, the little things that I do. And so I'll expose the little things. I, I've been part of, like, communities and, and like, life groups for, for a number of years. People are really good at managing their own sin by exposing the lesser sins in their life so that they can conceal the deep ones. And everybody comes to the group and they go, oh man, they're just so open with their lives. Look how much they're exposing to us. And really there's stuff down here. They're just like offering small things so that you won't actually see the deep stuff. What's that? Yeah, yeah, tip of the iceberg, yeah. Do we really believe though that God's grace is sufficient to save even the worst of sinners? Even the worst of people? And that we are those people in need, and so we can expose any area of our life to Him. What it comes down to is that we we would rather maintain our own standing before God. It goes back to that control thing, right? We would rather not be, be out of control when it comes to God's opinion of us. And so if I can just manage all of it well enough, then God will think well of me, smile on me, and then I'll get to go off and kind of still be a good person. Still, and still get to live all the stuff that I get to live anyway without the light exposing it. And so we try to manage our own goodness so that we feel justified in who we are. And so that's why the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to the light. And when that happens, He exposes things in us that we'd rather remain hidden so that we can continue to do them and, and continue not to submit to God in that area. That's the whole reason why we flee from Him. So if you're wondering, man, I would love it if God could just lead me like a pillar through the desert. He will. Jesus said as much. He is the light of the world. Follow Him and you'll be in light. The problem is that we like darkness too much. That's the problem. So what's necessary for us to actually live in the light and to stop fleeing from God? And the, the answer is this. We, we need to know not just with our minds. A lot of us know stuff with our minds that we don't believe in our hearts or with our hands. And here's the reality. If it doesn't bear itself out in your hands by the way that you live, you don't actually believe it. You may think you do. You may say you do. You may be able to quote Scripture on why you do, but you don't actually believe it. So why don't we believe it? We need to know that Living in the light is actually the best place for sinners like us. Jesus declares that he is the light. And when he does that, here's the the context. Verse 12 in chapter 8 comes right after verses 1 through 11. I know that's like a shocker, right? Sequential order that they did it that way. Um, But that's the. So so go back and, and read the verses that precede. Him saying that He is the light of the world. If you do that, what you'll find is that Jesus has been talking to some religious leaders who are in the process of stoning a woman because she's been caught in adultery. You may remember the story from a a couple months ago because we shared it in a different context, talking about how the church can be a judgmental place sometimes. 
Um, but, but what they're doing is they're bringing this to light, right? She's sinned. We're bringing it to light. It equals condemnation. Sin plus light equals condemnation. Sin plus light equals condemnation. They had played this math equation out over and over and over again. They had never ever run into a problem with that equation. It works every single time like magic. Here's the problem with this time. They bring this situation to the light of the world. And now the light of the world is going to say something about their math equation, and they're not going to like it too much. So they bring it to the light of the world, and what is he going to do? We'll pick it up in verse 7. It says this, They kept on questioning him, that's the Pharisees. He straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to cast the stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You hear what's happening? The Pharisees are exposing something to light, and that exposure creates condemnation. Sin plus light equals condemnation. But the light of Jesus exposes without condemning. See, Jesus' light exposes our sin and also exposes at the same time our need for grace. Sin plus light equals grace in Jesus' equation. And, and, and he's doing the same thing for the Pharisees as for the woman. I hope you hear that too. Because Jesus is exposing the sin of the Pharisees as much as they're trying to expose her sin. And so right after he exposes their sin too, he's essentially saying, it, it doesn't need to be this way. You don't need to walk in darkness anymore. I'm exposing you not to condemn you, but to offer you grace for the deep places of your heart that you think no light can touch. I'm exposing you to save you, to rescue you from it, to bring light to it. And that light will heal. It will not bring death. So if you came here today feeling like you're walking in darkness, please know that you're not condemned. Jesus calls you into his light not to condemn you, but to set you free. I mean, think of the story that I just shared about Caleb not wanting to admit to me that he has, uh, you know, a mess on his hands. Not literally on his hands. That's happened before, but <laughs> not yesterday. Who is the only one in the room capable of dealing with the mess? It's not Caleb and it's not the dog, right? It's Daddy. And yet he refuses to expose it to me. And yet, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going, if you only knew what would happen if you did expose it to me, I would clean you up gladly and I'd send you on your way. And you could live clean. That's essentially what Jesus is saying to us. You who are in darkness, will you come into the light so that I can set you free so that you would live a clean life? 
1 John 1, verses 5 through 10 say this. It's one of the most powerful sections in the entire Bible. And we, I, I think we need to read it far more often than we do. It says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, if we claim that we are in relationship with God, here's what needs to happen. We can't walk in the darkness. We claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness. We lie and we do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Here, He will clean you. And if we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His Word has no place in our lives. You hear the contrast? He is in light. If you walk with Him, you will walk in light and allow Him to clean you in places you sometimes wish no one would. It may be painful. You may not like it. You may have to give up stuff that you feel like you need at this point to be who you are. But there is a better reality, a better identity for you as one who's been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Will you walk in that light so that He'll clean you and get to walk in that cleansing for the rest of your life? See, the only condemnation that God gives is when we lie to Him in ourselves that we don't sin and we don't need His cleansing. I mean, we're, we're like the Pharisees, right? But when we allow ourselves to become exposed, when we bring it to light, that's when there's no condemnation. We get cleansed by His blood. So let me ask, church, how are we doing at this? How are we doing at exposing our own sin to God and to others? And let me be, I mean, just encourage the heck out of you here. If you fooled yourself into thinking that you're capable of dealing with it on your own, let me just ask, how's that going for you? How's it going? Are you walking in light? The way that you know is that you're regularly exposing your sin to Him and to other people. It's the only way that it gets dealt with. So please, walk in the light. Because here's the thing that, that happens. When we walk in the light, it, we don't just get cleansed. That would be payment enough. That would be great. I mean, that's good news, is it not? In addition to that, though, Jesus says the light what he does is he transforms us into bringers of light for the world. He said, when you're my cleansed ones, when you're filled with light because you've exposed your heart to me, here's what I do. I bring light into you and you get to be the light of the world. This should amaze us. The fact that God would do this. He would take broken and sinful and rebellious and, and dirty people. He comes in and He cleans every area of our life and then fills us with His Spirit, sends us out in the world and He goes, now you're my light. He says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. 
In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I want you to know that word for light, it's not some like lesser light. It's not like there's this huge spotlight and then there are these little, you know, big lighters and, and we're all the big lighters and he's the, the spotlight. It's the same word, phos, that Jesus uses for himself. And if he's in us, we're not some lesser lights. We actually carry his light as we go by his spirit that fills us. That's God's intention for your life. You may not realize this. What his number one priority for you is to clean you, then make you look like his son so that you would go out and be bringers of light into the world. That's the entire reason he brings you into his family in the first place. And so how are we doing, family, at shining the light of Jesus into the darkness? How are we doing at our jobs? Do people know that you're the light of the world there? And in our neighborhoods, do they realize that this has happened in your life? You'll know because you'll start to display some of the same things that are true of Jesus. And, and openness to Him. Confession of sin and, and, and community with other people. Prayerfulness. Joy. You'll be humble and generous. You'll share what you have with other people. And, and you know what else will happen? You'll talk about the source of where the light comes from. I mean, so many times, we, we, we think that our job is to go out and to display the world what God's like. And then we take all the credit for it. And when somebody asks, how did you respond to that situation that you did? I mean, it seemed really difficult. We go, well, I don't know. I'm just a good person, I guess. Or, or I, I just, I had my Wheaties this morning or, you know. I mean, we look to all other sources and we give credit to all other sources rather than the source. So do our lives look like light? And are our lives lived in such a way that others can see that light? And I, I don't miss this. I, I don't want you to go out those doors and go, well, I got some work to do. I got some light to, to shine. I, I got to go and create it myself. I got to go uh, and squeeze out some light, right? That's not it at all. Jesus is the source of light in you. Remember, I was having a conversation with my neighbor one day. I went over to his house to, to check on him. I, I, Mandy had made some cookies or something i was bringing them over to his door and he goes i want you to sit down i i have a question to ask you i'm like okay i didn't really know him very well at the time but we sit down at his table and uh and he leans in across the table and he goes what's up with you <laughs> like i barely know you what are you talking about <laughs> He goes, no, seriously, like, what's going on over there? Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Can you elaborate a little bit? And then he said this. He goes, you guys have such a light, and I don't know where it comes from, and I don't know what the source of it is, and I, I, don't, I don't understand it, but I see it. I go, are you sure? <laughs> 
I'm just bringing cookies over here, you know? And he goes, no, no, you don't understand. I see it, and everybody else on the, na- on the block sees it. I've asked. And they see it too. And I got to explain to him where that light comes from. I got to tell him that it's not, it's not anything that I've done. I, I mean, if you see any light in me, it's not from me, it's from him, and it's because of what he's done for me. He took my life of darkness and he exchanged it with a light of life when he died on me for the died for me on the cross, and he gave his spirit to me who empowers me to live differently. And if you've seen anything in me that looks at all like light, it's because he's the light in me. I got to share with him where that light comes from. I didn't do a thing. I didn't even make the cookies. You know? I'm just the messenger. I just brought him over. And God orchestrated an opportunity for me to share with, I pray, my future brother what it looks like to live in God's family, to have him as our dad who comes and cleanses our hearts so that we could be lights for him. I want you to know if you've been living in darkness, there is nothing, nothing that that darkness can give you that is better than being in his light. It's the reason that we're created in the first place. And that's why when Isaiah talks about this Messiah who's going to come and give light, the very next verse that he gives in verse 3 in chapter 9, he says this, You have enlarged the nation, that is Israel, and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. We're not a bunch of farmers here other than a little community garden in the back. But even that, I mean, when fall comes around, you go into your garden, you see everything that's grown, you go, this is awesome! Like, I didn't create any of this, and yet I get to enjoy the fruit of it. It, it, I mean, all that work that we put in, it was worth it because now we get to enjoy things that sprang up from the ground because God created them. What he's saying is in the same way, when you give yourself over to the light and you get to be bringers of light into the world, you get to rejoice because you, get, you start to see God move in your life to create a harvest of people that are coming into contact with him. And they have no idea why. And you have no idea how God's doing it, but he's doing it and you're just submitting to it. You get to see it happen over and over and over again. And I want to ask you, do you want to be part of that process where God comes into your heart and allows you to do this in the world? Because there is nothing better. It is what you were created for. And if you would let go of the darkness and let him cleanse you, you would actually get to participate in his work to do this, to bring light into this world that is so dark. And rather than sitting back and just criticizing the world for being darkness, we get to be bringers of light. I hope as we're talking about this, this is what you long to be part of. It's the whole reason God gives you his spirit is to do that. I want to ask, what what have we left here believing that we bring the light of life everywhere we go? Would that change the way that you live? Would it change your outlook? I hope it would. As we come to the communion table, as we finish up, I want to ask you, if if you've been choosing a different direction for your life and seeing the fruit of darkness in you, I want you to come to the table and ask for Jesus to be your light to guide you into, in dark places. That he would illuminate the path for you. 
that you would not leave in darkness. And if you've been hiding in that darkness, I want you to know that Jesus can be the light that exposes the areas so that He can bring grace and cleansing into your life. And I want you to know that you can come this morning and ask God to make you a bringer of light into the world. As you come, I want you to know that that the elements that we celebrate here symbolize the fact that that Jesus, the light of the world, I mean, there is no other source of light. He's it. Became darkness itself for us on the cross so that we who are dark could become children of light. There is no better news than that. So we get to celebrate it. We get to come to the table and say, thank you, God, that you've done this for us. Make it true of me. Clean me. And send me out into the world to be your bringer of light so that this world would increase in light and no longer be dark. It's his work, but he gets to use us to do it. I hope you believe that. Let's respond to him and let's rejoice in the fact that he's done it. Father, we thank you that you sent the light into the world. Jesus, thank you that you are our light. I pray this morning that we, if we've been walking in darkness and had areas of darkness in our life, that we would trust you more than we trust ourselves, more than we trust the darkness, to expose it to the light and let you, did, let you in to deal with it. And I pray, God, that you would make this church, this people, and to bringers of light, let us be the light of the world that shines in the darkness. We trust you for it. It's not a product of ourselves. It's a product of what you do in us. And so, Spirit, I pray that you'd make it so. And that we would be a people who rejoice at the harvest because we get to watch you work tangibly through our lives. Give us a picture for what that would look like so that when we leave here, we would believe it long enough to actually believe it with our hands and walk in it. And help us to give you the credit for it because it comes from you. You're the source of light. We pray in your name. Amen.